This week's badass is Bonnie Leah. My favorite little story, you know when you're, you have a, a little tangled necklace, very fine necklace, and you just, you, you're going at the knot, you're going at the knot, and you finally find that one string that you pull out and it like unravels the whole thing. So that's what I say to people. I say, if you have five hours today, five to seven hours, where's the place in your home or in your office that is the main snag? If we go at that spot for a certain amount of time, it will relieve the most amount of stress. And then we we just go for it. And normally that either sets them up to do the rest on their own. Like I'm happy if someone's like, I'm good. I don't need you. I've started and you've started me and I'm good. That's great. Or we keep going to other spots in their space. Um, but yeah, like the closet was it for me and it kind of just got me started. Welcome to another episode of the Badass Women of Central Park where every time we bring you an awesome journey of a badass woman in our neighborhood. My name is Dan Clark, and it is my honor to host this podcast and get to learn from so many of you each time. It is my goal for you to see yourself as the badass you truly are. Bonnie Leah founded Be Organized Method, a home and business organization company to serve others using the skills from her background as a fine artist and film department coordinator. Be Organized is a perfect blend of practical concepts, visual expertise, and Bonnie Leah's passion for effecting change in those around her. Her method is infused with concepts that promote habit transformation and encourage clients to learn actionable maintenance techniques. Be Organized thinks beyond the obvious role of immediate productivity and organization. By helping individuals and businesses identify and adopt new systems customized to their specific needs, before founding Be Organized Method, Bonnie has a fascinating education and career path, which includes going to film school at the famous USC, as well as working on films such as Easy A and The Fast and the Furious 2. Bonnie is a badass, and I know you will enjoy our conversation. This podcast is brought to you by the Mama Bird Project, where we empower and open doors for young black, Latina, and indigenous women from Montbello and surrounding communities. We do this all on Zoom by having our women have beautiful intersectional recorded conversations with your loved ones, whether it's your grandparents if you're lucky enough still to have them, your parents, a new graduate, someone who's gotten engaged. The conversations are amazing and the recordings will be something you'll look back on fondly forever. We all know we should be recording the wisdom of our elders, but we never get around to it. It's only $100. All that money goes directly to the women. It's a great cause. It's a great product. Please help us in supporting the Mama Bird Project. All right. Good morning, Bonnie. It is morning. such a pleasure to meet you. And we Thank don't know you. each other at all. So it's exciting to, to connect with you. Um, your business is organization, which is something I am terrible at. So let's start <laughs> there. Tell, tell me a little bit about um, just, I guess, where you're at with your, with your current business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I started it as a side gig. It was just something I really enjoy doing. Um, and it grew really fast because it turns out that there are plenty of people like yourself that need it in all types of capacity. Um, and I just, it's not that I stumbled upon it, but 
I raised my hand in a group on Facebook and I was like, I need work. I want to do this work. And very quickly, I found out that I had a thing for it and it had a thing for me. And so it just grew. <laughs> um, and with each person, like you were saying to me, like I, I learned so much. And instead of just showing up and, and doing the thing, I started from the very first client um, and she's still a client and friend today. I took notes and I started to study. I'm a big studier of like psychology and all that fun stuff. And so I noticed patterns um, and developed a little bit of a method and, and kind of applied practicality to each person and then grew that. And so I made a little bit of a, you know, method and how I do it. And that has grown. And actually this week I had my first um, consult with not an individual home, but with a business. So we're taking it to businesses now, which is great. <laughs> that is awesome. Congratulations. And as you're yeah. saying all this, I, I realized we'll use that as a teaser and then we'll you know make people hold on and we'll teach them some of the secrets at the end of this podcast. Yes. Um, but, but now I want to rewind and um, hear about how you got there. First of all, you told me you're from Tennessee. I know nothing mm -hmm. about Tennessee. Can you tell me a little bit about what Tennessee is like growing up in Tennessee? So I, I was born and raised in Tennessee, but I've lived in California. I, li I went to USC, lived in Miami, um, and then also Atlanta and Baton Rouge for a short period of time for film. So um, Memphis, I can say that the food is amazing. And the people are even more amazing. Um, I, until I moved to Denver, I had not met such nice people. You know, people are just so nice there. And you get a little, a dose of that here too, which is great. Um, and I was there until 17. So from 17 until now, I've been all over. Yeah. Um, take me through your career path a little bit. You talked to me about um, going to USC for film yep. school. And people don't know, USC is considered the top film school, I would say, in, in <laughs> the world, probably, right? And so yep. um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you did that process? Did you go straight from high school into UCS film, or USC film school? I actually really pushed hard to get into that school. I did not make it on my first try. Um, I transferred from University of Miami. Once I transferred, I applied to the film school and I didn't get in. I'm a hustler. So I worked for the film school before I even got in the film school. I applied again and I finally got in. Um, so yeah, it is the top probably in the world. Um, people that I went to school with are getting Emmys, Oscars now, um, working, you know, big time producers, a huge amount stopped working in the industry too. Like myself, I, I worked a bunch um, and it wasn't for me. And then I spent over a 12 plus years as a professional fine artist. So that kind of worked really well when it came into this organizing gig because visual expertise is my thing. I can just make sense of anything visually. Um, but yeah, that's a bit of my background. I worked, and then, so I, I was a fine artist. Um, in the film world, I was a depart, art department coordinator. So people saw that I was an artist um, and that I could, 
I was resourceful and kind of coordinate vendors and all that. So I got into the coordinating of stuff, which is less of the art side, but more, you know, still working with prop and construction. So when I decided I wanted to do this, it kind of translated really nicely. Yeah. One of the thing, one of the things that I don't think that people and certainly myself never appreciated till I got into to making movies and things was the value of film school towards other professions. I think there's so much that's going on in a film with production and planning and redoing things and people skills and management skills and attention to detail, like all of these things. And I, I think in so many ways our society is out of whack with what they appreciate as far as education. And outside of film, I feel that often that education isn't valued as much as it is. Did you feel that you learned a lot of, and you talked about them a little bit here, but did you feel you learned a lot of transferable skills during that process? I would say I learned a lot of life, life skills. Um, and then especially just getting into production. So I was at the University of Miami around the time they were shooting the second Fast and Furious. So that kind of dates me or whatever. I don't care. Um, and I didn't have a car. And I decided, and I was a freshman, and they had an internship. Uh, this will be your story. This is great. They had an internship class, but you had to be a junior, but I didn't care. I was like, I want to go work on the Fast and Furious. So I remember um, going to the teacher's assistant and just saying, I want to do this. I, I called the production office. I'm going to go in and I'll work for free. I don't care. I think internships might be paid now. Like the amount of free work I did at that time was crazy. Um, but they, the teacher kept rejecting me because I wasn't even 18. I was 17. Um, but persistence paid off. And for whatever reason, he like gave me the number to the, the connection there. And I ran with it. And before you knew it, I was taking the train and the bus to go work on South Beach on Fast and Furious. And I got to meet the director, John Singer, who was an alum at USC. And I told him I want to go to USC. And like, he, I don't remember what he said to me, but it just really inspired me. So I kept applying. So I made that transition to USC. Um, and I just learned to really do whatever it took to get what I wanted at that point at 17, 18. And then I transferred to California. And lo and behold, when I graduated from the film school, the keynote speaker was John Singleton. Oh my God. And so when I walked across the stage, I had a little picture of he and I that he, we had taken on Too Fast, Too Furious, which was really cool. So that was like a nice little book ending. But I would say that the real life skills and the confidence that they gave me to like go and show up and just be there, that's kind of where it was at for me. And then take me to your transition. You talked about fine art. Explain to me what that means and mm -hmm. kind of what you were doing during that time. Sure. Um, in high school, I was a painter and just fine art, like uh, drawing and painting. So classic portraits, still life, uh, life drawing. Um, and I got a whole bunch of scholarships, um, Maryland Institute College of Art, Pratt Design in, in Brooklyn. I think that's what it's called. I was getting like full rides for the art, but I really didn't like it. Um, so I, I decided to go into the film school. And then during film school, I didn't do too much fine art. Oddly enough, um, as I graduated, a couple people wanted me to do fine art 
um, do paintings for uh, their weddings. And then that caught on. So as I was doing some film work, I was also doing artwork, artwork again, after like a college, like a four plus year break. Um, but that caught on and people kept hiring me to do that for 12 plus years. I was by myself all the time. You know, you talk to the client, they tell you what you want. They leave you alone for months. My, my pieces took months. Um, and at the end of the day, I was making some really nice work and doing my best and working hard, but you don't interact with people. I listen to a lot of YouTubes, a lot of podcasts. Um, and I ended up making a gigantic mural. That was really cool. Um, but one thing that I need as a human is to interact and to help people on a daily basis. I'm very, very driven by problem solving and like real time service. Um, and you, you get problem solving creatively. Like there is a payoff when you can figure out a very difficult pattern um, create a design that um, feels like you kind of like leveled up on it. Um, my brain really likes that, but there's def definitely like the practical day-to-day -day, um, helping others that I'm driven by that like I was not getting in art. Um, and then with organizing, I, I get that every single day. I'm going to help someone demo their closet today. And I don't know, that's that's like the real life stuff that I was missing. Yeah, I never put it together until I'm just talking to you and it seems like such a contrasting thing, art and fine art versus organization. But when I think about it from my mm -hmm. perspective, I want a functional thing, part with, with organization, but really what I think I would care about most is the aesthetics, the looks of everything, that it looks a certain way. And I'm looking at your nails are really cool. And oh. I'm thinking just, I'm thinking of the connections just with, the organization part. So yeah, tell me a little bit about how that does tie together the, the aesthetics and the look and the kind of your still being able to be an artist within this kind of detail-oriented work. It was a surprise. I'll tell you that it was a pleasant surprise. Um, when I started doing it as a side gig, I thought, oh gosh, I'll, I'll do anything to survive and make it here in Colorado. Cause I, I got here a little over a year ago, but I was determined to just make it. Um, and I didn't know if I'd like it. I also know enough about myself that sometimes I'll like something for a short bit of time and then get bored. But as I kept going with it, there was this, like this staying power because it did like ding, it like lit up enough of me, enough of my needs as a person that I was like, oh, I can maybe stick with this a little longer. And then it, it got really real where it was like, oh, I, I think I'm good at this. Oh, I'm helping people every day. Oh, I can help with design. Like I have an eye for that. Um, I was at the container store four days ago and a woman comes in and she's, um, I was talking to her cause she had like stacks of bins and she's like, well, I'm designing my closet. And I said, well, I just designed one earlier today. And I'm just helping her with her palette because I'm very, like one of the few things I'm very confident about is style um, and, and your style. I can go with anyone's style and read their, their profile, um, like their visual or aesthetic profile and go with it. So yeah, 
organizing is is equal parts practical and aesthetic and then per client there's a range so they might really just care about practical let's say it's your garage we don't want to spend money to like make all the bins uniform we don't care we just want it like categorized then that's like a 95% functional job we're going to do like we're going to get really practical realistic talk about what like is most functional for you um, then there's, let's say a single mom who has a gorgeous primary closet and that's like her happy place. Well, we're going to make that functional, but add like a cool rug and a chandelier and like, why not add an awesome little like comfy chair? And now it looks like, like a happy, like a very cool space for her. Um, so it ranges, but having that eye um, being resourceful, knowing product, knowing where to get product, um, and researching, like it all kind of comes together and it definitely draws on the art and then my, my history or my background with film. What, um, it sounds like you do a, a range of different things. Are you people, some people come to you and saying, I just need like a plan to come with and, and then I can execute it. Do some people come with you and say, I don't even care. Like, here's my garage. I want to organize and, and I'll see you in two weeks. Like, how, do, how does that process work? Some people know exactly what they want. Um, I just want my closet done. I want all my kids' um, old clothing to be packaged away in case I have a new baby. Um, and I want to buy white bins or white containers to like make the closet uniform. And they'll even order the container. I mean, that's a very like, hands-on client I'll have someone that calls me that says my life is a mess help me <laughs> like it's that general it's like what's a mess about it like where do we go and so that's where I learned to help people pinpoint the the biggest source of their stress whether you know in this business I talked to this week it was a combination of physical space and some systems that they're using so not physical space, it's like operational systems. Um, so it's everything, uh, the amount of client involvement. Some people are like, I don't have time, just come in, I'll show you, you do it. And then I kind of see the landscape and do the best I can with my tools. Um, other times they really wanna be hands-on and then other times it's a, a mixture. Um, starting a new business, starting your business, there's a huge learning curve. Um, what have you kind of learned throughout the process just on a, on a personal level as you dove into this? It seems like you're a person that does dive into things. It seems like once you know what you want, you're, you're definitely chasing it and going after it really hard. Um, what have you learned about yourself? Once I recognized that there was a potential in this, I got really excited. Um, not only was I writing down notes to learn the actual job, job, the labor side, but I started to develop a training plan or a certification plan to, to grow it. I saw the potential to grow it. And people come to me, they ask me how I do what I do. Um, it's, so I thought it'd be very smart to start writing processes, um, how to's, stuff like that. But then you think, okay, um, you have to do the the website, you have to do social media, you you don't have to, but if you want it to go beyond just word of mouth and uh, kind of a small thing, there's some planning and some backtracking where, okay, instead of working with someone today, 
I'm going to work on content for the website, or I'm going to figure out how to get on Google Maps. Um, and there were certain points, probably November, there were certain points a few months in where it was so overwhelming. I was getting calls from people every day, um, learning kind of the ratio of uh, talking to how many people and if I talk to this many people, how many people actually become a client? How am I tracking the client? You know, all the little like ins and outs of it. Um, it got really overwhelming. And then because I've lived in multiple cities, I had people in Miami saying, oh, come here, let's do this. So I went, to, I've already been to Miami twice for clients. Um, I'm speaking to people in LA, I, people in Atlanta. <laughs> So, you know, you have to kind of figure out how you want it to look. It's very interesting. I didn't think about that. And kind of, I'm sure with the virtual nature of our world now too, there's, there's ways to, to help people out, even if it's not in person, but you're still taking your time <laughs> and you're so right. There's still a, a time commitment there. I've done it. I, when I went to Miami, I was there for um, four different clients on the I had a client Friday for 11 hours. She was a champ. We did 11 straight hours of like sorting and purging her kids stuff. And during that day, I started to feel something in my throat. I started to feel kind of weird. And I woke up the next morning and I had a slight fever and I couldn't go in her home. I was like, I'm not gonna come in your home. But she had worked with me long enough that she knew my process. Pretty, pretty straightforward, it's pretty easy. And I said, you know what, I'm here in Miami, but I'm not coming into your home. Let's do this virtually. So we set up a camera just like this and on her desk, and we had already mapped out our space for the second day. So I said, well, we know what you're gonna do. Let's start with your top shelf and do it systematically like we do. And you know, if this doesn't work for you, then you tell me, like I'm, I always say like, anyone can tell me what is and is not working. That's how we, how we go. But um, I sat there with her for, I think it was three to four hours virtually from bed in Miami. And I worked with my client and she organized her whole office. So what, what is typically, as you see, um, getting in the way of people being organized? What, what do you kind of see patterns? I'm sure that Yep. are either not being organized or not being able to I get or stay that way? Um, it depends on the type of disorganization. So um, I can tell you, a lot of people ask me if I was always this way. And the answer is like, absolutely not. Even right now, I'm looking at my place and I have time dedicated today to do my own space. I became organized and, and in my own space for my own mental health. I did it as a way to survive. I did it as a way to feel better. So I can identify, like you said, reasons that people get hung up on that result in a disorganized space. And they're very much like my own. A big one is not wanting to face it. So not necessarily the procrastinating side, but the fear side. Um, so I work with, let's say people in their 50s, 60s that have buildup of not only kids that they've raised, but also the accumulation of 
product or, or things, items, sentimental from parents or relatives that have passed away. So they're like sandwiched in. So all of a sudden there's not only like this fear, but overwhelm. And it only gets worse because of the fear of facing maybe stuff that is gonna hurt a little or bring back memories that you just simply don't want to deal with right now. And to me, that's, that's one. The other that I see all the time, especially with working uh, couples, moms, dads, um, kids, they have two kids under five. There's so much going on. The kids grow so fast. The toys are not cool. They get more toys and they're buried in toys and clothing and their own stuff because life happens. So it's not even like a character defect. It's just a life reality. So life piles on. Again, it's maybe like a, a quick mini version of the people I'm dealing with that have decades of stuff. They just have this compounded like five-year period where things have gone nuts. Their, their careers have grown and the priority, here's a big one. We all have like a certain bandwidth for decision-making. So let's say I can handle 20 decisions in a day. Well, we do way more than that, but I want to designate 18 out of, of those decisions to my job and then two to this other thing. I'm not going to designate tons of that decision-making bandwidth to like going through my late uncle's stuff in the corner because it's just not a priority. Um, and people get embarrassed about the state of their home or the state of their office or whatever, but I don't see a problem. I just see that life has built up. And the pandemic exacerbated that. Like it, it amplified that because all of a sudden we're in this space more. We're ordering from Amazon five things a day. I mean, I have a couple clients. I'll go for a five to seven hour session, nothing on their doorstep. By the time I leave, there's always a package. So there are a couple things. There's that fear of going through stuff that you, you just don't want to. There's the, there's the human like, decision-making bandwidth that it's just not a priority. And then there you go. Like it's a pretty quick buildup. I am, I am certainly not great at it. And, and when you talk about mental health, that's something that my wife finally phrased it as for her life and her mental health, she needs to have a very orderly space. We're in Poland right now, this apartment we're in, I think it's 350 square feet. So it's tiny. So they naturally have, a, I think, a more propensity to be more organized and have to, and you're using all these spaces um, where I never never had that or never grew up that way, um, and I'm, I'm not good at it. So I'm trying to be better. Um, um, what are kind of simple things that you can do to kind of start off on the right foot? Is it that you plan out spaces and kind of have a, a space for everything? Are you labeling things so they're in a certain space? Is it making sure you always put things back right away because that saves time in the long run. What are kind of some just simple tips that people can use to be more organized in their life? Yeah, these, these are maintenance tools that just started making sense to me. And I work with some amazing people, brilliant people, um, and very rushed people, you know, like I said, busy, all that. 
And one of the most simple things that I do in my world, which I told you I'm going to designate like probably just 15 minutes tonight, I, I try and do like a little pocket before bed. Um, the hard part is when you start, you want to keep going. So that is, I mean, that's a good little thing. But um, one thing I work with people on is finding homes within their home for everything, every last thing. My keys go there. They go there every time. Um, if it's something more difficult, we think, okay, the key to this, I love this little trick. Um, what's something you lose all the time? Not thinking of a specific example, but I will use stuff that do, does have a specific place and I'll put it somewhere kind of where it's close to me. So it's convenient for me at the moment and work okay. the location, but then it stays there as opposed to finding the right space that my wife knows where it is. I'll, I'll think of the example, but, but something like that, like where at the moment, it makes more sense to have it close to me, but then it doesn't carry through. So that's the key is instead of answering to your current self, like instant gratification, it makes more sense to have my keys on this desk right here because I see them. I locate a home for my keys in a space that one makes sense for my future self. So they make sense right by my door every time. Um, if I'm having trouble designating a space with a client, um, I don't know where these should go. I, I have them here, but I always lose them because I can't see them. Well, that's a key in my head. I say, okay, well, first of all, we need to put them where you see them. The other one is if your future self had lost this, where would your future self naturally go to look for this? Oh, well, I'd totally go looking um, at I'd go, I'd look at the stool at the rug by my front door if I lost these. So I'd probably go look over there. Well, that's your answer. It's like they answer it themselves if they think about their future self. So if you look at an item today and you're like, this isn't supposed to go here. Well, what you would need to do is combine that answer with your wife. So I'm, you know, if you're living alone, then you only have to answer to one future person. But if you guys were deciding, and that's a key, especially in a home with multiple people or like the business I'm working with, we want to decide on homes for, for product or items that everyone can not only agree on, but naturally go to. So if it's, this is a pest control company and they're going to have a lot of cages for pests. So where do the employees typically go in the warehouse for these items? Because they're all over the place. But every time these guys go look for it, they're going to the right-hand corner. Well, if you're naturally already going over there, then like your behavior and your mind tell me that's where it's going to go. Um, so yeah, instead of that instant gratification, you do a tiny bit of homework in your head. And then when you place it there, I do like kind of a beat and a pause and I assign it in my head. So I say, okay, little keys, this is your little house now. Enjoy it. You're going to be there for a long time and I'll be able to find you better. <laughs> it probably brings you joy too. Well, joy, using the organization word, but brings you joy when you are doing things consistently. You kind of probably can play mind games too, where you really enjoy that. Do you see that with your clients once they kind of are doing this and perpetuating it, it becomes habit that, that makes them really happy? Yeah, I, I started to see that in my life where three months go by, let's say I had that trip planned to Miami 
and I'm cleaning out something and I find my swimsuit. Well, I don't need a swimsuit here in Colorado right now, but I'm going to need it in Miami. And I think, okay, when it's time for me to pack in a month, where would I likely find this? I'm going to find it right by my laundry. So I'm going to put it there now. Well, a month goes by, I go to pack for Miami and I'm like, where the heck is my swimsuit? Oh, oh yeah, it's by my laundry. And I go and find it. And I'm like, oh, I was so smart. Like I get that little, you get that little dopamine hit of like, I, I thought ahead and it worked. So there's that. The other joy, the other really neat thing is a different process um, in the organizing or a different phase of the organizing process, which I call the belong phase. Um, does it belong? Um, that's usually when we go through and purge things that just don't belong in people's lives. Inevitably, during that phase, we find so much stuff. I have found a lot of money with people. I two weeks ago, I found we found a check for over five hundred dollars. She's like, "Oh, I just found five hundred bucks." There's so much joy. Like I've been looking for this for six months. Oh my god, this shirt. Oh my god, this waffle maker. Like I got a call a day after we did that, uh, the kitchen and she, the mom was so happy because she's like, we're doing waffles again with the kids, you know? So there's, there is a lot of payoff, um, in different phases of it. Yeah. I have dealt with a couple, um, where the, the wife was ready to get rid of, I mean, they had combined multiple homes into a home and I think they had a third home, I don't even know, it was tons of stuff. And she was just tossing it, ready to toss it. Um, the husband, when we, when I got to him, we were going to go through, I mean, it was piles of boxes. I walked away. She did, I think two truckloads of stuff and goodwilled it, um, donated it. We walked away with him, not even one box. And that was a tough day for me because at first, and this was a learning lesson early on, and I, I wondered if I did a good job because I was like, well, we barely got rid of stuff. But I, I, I learned that the process of going through his stuff um, involved some painful memories. And just the fact that he went through it, I got a little feedback after, and it turned out it was really, really good for him. So I learned in that moment that it was not necessarily about getting rid of the stuff as much as it was for him to go through the process of looking. And for me too, like my, what got me started in this years ago that I realized I kind of liked it was going through my childhood closet and, and it's layers. Um, I went through, I got rid of probably half my stuff. And what happens when you get rid of stuff is there's a type of like, you're, you're wrapping up a little bit of your past. You're, there's a little bit of acceptance. There's a little bit of processing. And then there's a little bit of letting go. And I did that on my closet um, pre-pandemic. I'm already ready to go back and do a little more. Because um, there's one thing that I like to talk to people about and that it's, especially for sentimental people, our things tell our story. Like our stuff tells our story. And I'm big into moving forward. So if I'm able to go through my old stuff and let go and process and kind of not be weighed down by it, um, my, if I move my stuff along, I can move my story along. So if I let go a little bit of that dead weight, I'm free 
psychologically and mentally to keep moving forward. And when I did my closet in 2019, that was the beginning of a really big transition in my life. Everyone I run into that's ready enough to organize, to commit to having a professional organizer, they're ready to make some type of transition. Um, and that's always an exciting place to meet someone. Um, it, or they're not ready, but they're ready enough to like maybe try. And that usually, usually results in a momentum starting. Um, and that's exactly what I saw in my life that I had no clue about. Once I did my closet and developed those, that's where I first developed a couple little tips and tricks. Um, it, it kind of propelled me into my future. It was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this space, but I know that there are answers in this. That's kind of where my head was at. I was um, in a time, uh, at the time I was really struggling, but for whatever reason, I was like, I need to do the closet. I just got it in my head. I need to like face my closet. And it was, it was bad. It was really bad. But by the time I got through it and got to the end of it, you get a little confidence, you kind of get a little perspective, and it really propelled me into my future. And I've seen that time and again with people. They're like, I just, I really need to do this playroom with the kids. Like they don't touch it anymore. I really, and there's this, it's almost like you, you know where this source, like I said, we locate that source of stress. My favorite little story, you know, when you're, you have a, a little tangled necklace, very fine necklace, and you just, you, you're going at the knot, you're going at the knot, and you finally find that one string that you pull out and it like unravels the whole thing. So that's what I say to people. I say, if you have five hours today, five to seven hours, where's the place in your home or in your office that is the main snag. If we go at that spot for a certain amount of time, it will relieve the most amount of stress. And then we, we just go for it. And normally that either sets them up to do the rest on their own. Like I'm happy if someone's like, I'm good. I don't need you. I've started and you've started me and I'm good. That's great. Or we keep going to other spots in their space. Um, but yeah, like the closet was it for me and it kind of just got me started. As we wrap up here, I never asked you, do you see yourself as a badass? <laughs> Sometimes. Some days. I never saw organization or thought about it from both mental health perspective until my wife kind of talked about that to me, but also like you talked about from a stress relief perspective. Um, and it's something where or decision-making, that's so interesting. And I bet something that you're also providing too is kind of the impetus to do it. If you pay someone and you're forced to do it, you have to do it, there's accountability mm -hmm. there. Um, yeah. So I'm sure that's something you also get from people too is now I have to have to do something that's good for myself. The feeling you get after, um, I, I probably, most everyone I've worked with, they're like, I'm exhausted, but I'm fulfilled. It's that really good feeling that I finally made decisions on things that I hadn't for, you know, over a decade. I did an entire home office with a gentleman um, in his 70s. It had been sitting there for who knows how long. So 
there's all types of payoff. It's not easy. Um, and the process is not easy. And it's also not just like uh, doing like a spread, a really cute spread of your spices in your kitchen. It's, you know, I, the way I do it is I like to apply the psychology, the practicality. Um, I want to see it maintained. I want to see people's lives really changed by it. Um, but it is, it's a combination of coaching and the problem solving and learning the person's lifestyle so that we find solutions that really work for them. So I might think that this pantry should look this way, but it's not going to serve them with two young kids that, you know, there, there are certain answers that are only going to work for per client. Um, and that's always been my goal is to just make people's lives better better as I learn more about them. All right, that's gonna wrap it up, okay. Bonnie. Um, as, we, as we do end here though, I want you to own your badassness and, and close us <laughs> out with just by saying your name and that you are a badass. All right, I am Bonnie Leah and I am a badass. After we finished the official interview, I found out that Bonnie is also an avid hiker, so I wanted to include that as well. Um, I decided I wanted to or hike the 14ers here. So last year I did 12 of them. Um, and I have a little group of like pretty badass women that go out and, and like get these mountains, like pretty hardcore. And I told one, I asked one the other day how she did. She was going to go out and do one of the smaller ones. And she's like, I didn't even make it. I had to start in the middle of the day. And I said, I'm pretty sure failure is the new form of self-care because I was like, I have failed more this year. If you want to call it that, there's probably a better word. But at the same time, I've succeeded more than I ever had. And I think it's just giving yourself this permission to just bounce back and um, keep trying. And because I can't tell you how many times I drove out to the mountain or got halfway up the mountain just to get the 12 this year. But same thing with the business. It's like, you know, we could call it learning curves instead of failure, but it's, you know, it, have you heard of the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's that. It's like, we go over here. Well, this is a dead end. So you go over here and this is a dead end and you, you learn and you take notes and you keep moving. And so it's the same with the relationships and the mountains out here and the business. And so I think I like that new little mantra right now. It's like a certain form of failure is the new form of self-care or something like that. But um, I thought you would think that was pretty funny. That is that is so true. And I, I thought about that. I, I was listening to a podcast or no, it was a book. It was this guy who just passed away that was a Dave Hollins, who was a Disney um, high up. And then he just passed away at 47. And I think there's just great wisdom learning from people who, who are no longer with you. It just hits differently. And one of the things he talks about in this book um, was that if for your children, you in different situations and I've thought this too is if your children always succeed they're not learning from that and so it's those failures and those times you don't succeed that teach you the most so you don't want that for yourself and it's hard to embrace it in the moment but as you look back on your life it's that you didn't you know your film career wasn't this way that led you to where you're this and your art all this stuff like leads you to so much learning and growth and mountains whatever it is that you yeah. do learn so much from those uncomfortable moments and it's hard to see in the moment but step away from it and, and it sounds like you'll get there yeah I mean I discomfort is one of the best teachers 
if you're willing to listen to it. Um, so I take notes across the board. I will inventory, you know, relationships that didn't work out. I will take notes on the mountain as I'm learning. Um, and, and then you kind of like heighten your bar. So you're, you're able to know more the next time. And that's kind of just how I've been doing it all year. Same with business. So it's been a fabulous year. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. Please go to iTunes or whatever provider you're listening on and give us a rating so we can do more of this important work. Please keep sending me suggestions of people we should interview on this show. And finally, and most importantly, please always remember that you, yes you, are a badass.